I'd like to, this evening, turn your attention to a, um, probably a lesser-known miracle of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's found in Matthew's Gospel. So if you have your Bible, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 17. It's great to see you. So many of you on a warm evening. We appreciate your support. We pray that God, well, I know God has already blessed you. It's quite obvious that he has. And um, it's the, the miracle of the coin in the fish's mouth. Now, many of you will know that story, but some of you may not. But I'd like us to look at that this evening, to just see if there's some truth there that will help you and I in our discipleship with Jesus. So I'm going to read from um, Matthew 17. I'm going to read from verse 22 and then into the actual story. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. The disciples were filled with grief. I need to stop there before we get into the story. Isn't it strange? They'd rather have a living Jesus than a resurrected Jesus. What made them sad? The fact that he was going to die? Yes. But did they not hear him say he would rise on the third day to life? And what was their reaction? And the disciples were filled with grief. Friends, we are satisfied with a resurrected Jesus. You know, he lived, of course, but the great truth of the Christian faith is the one we've been singing about, the one we've been singing to, the one whom we worship is none other than the resurrected Christ. And I'll tell you this, there should be no grief in this house because we know that he's seated at the Father's right hand. Lovely. I needed that even if you didn't. Okay, just to read the story. Um, after Jesus and the disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon, he asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the sons are exempt. Jesus said to him, so that we may not offend them, go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. I need to pray. Father, this is your word. and We pray that the same Holy Spirit that breathed this word into being might breathe upon the speaker and hearers alike. Here we have a, a story, and it's hard to know really where to land on this story. Is it a story about sonship? Is it a story about God's provision? Really, where is it lying? I'm sure many people have used this story about God's provision, and rightly so. God did provide. But I think there's far more at stake here than just the fact that God provided a monetary gift in this situation and I'd like to try and tease that out a little bit for with you if I may. Now first of all Matthew is the only gospel writer to record this miracle. Now the reason being is I believe that Matthew was a tax collector and these men were collecting taxes and I only know one person who's ever interested in taxes and that's tax collectors. The rest of us were not really interested we just wish it wasn't going to happen in that way so that's it so we're not going to find the story in Luke or in Mark or in John but just in Matthew and it's possibly because he was a tax collector the fact of this um, was something that he highlighted 
and wanted to talk about. It says he came to Capernaum. Now Capernaum was a place where Jesus spent a great deal of time. And so it would be a place that if people were going to ask him for taxation, it would be in that place. It was familiar. It wasn't like he was a visitor of the town, traveling around and he just arrived. He would be known in Capernaum. It was very much a home, a place where he would spend time. So that's the situation. Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum. The collector of the two drachma tax came to Peter and says, doesn't your master teacher pay the temple tax? Now, the temple tax was something that every male Jew over the age of 20 would pay. We find, we find in the Old Testament there, in Exodus 30 and 2 Chronicles, there's a, uh, the pattern is set there for this tax. And it was for the upkeep of the temple, as its name implied. If you lived in Bible days, you would have paid three lots of taxes, a bit like we do. They paid tax to, to Rome. Boo. Thank you. They paid tax to Herod. Boo. And male Jews over the age of 20 paid the temple tax. And it was purely and simply for the upkeep of the temple. So the contribution could be made and everyone would pay the same amount of money. And so this is what was being collected. This wasn't being collected for Caesar. It wasn't being collected for Herod. It wasn't the local government. So for example, I pay three forms of tax. I pay income tax, I think. I've retired now. Yeah, we'll say I do. I've paid income tax. Um, I pay um, council tax. So I get my bin emptied. And I pay VAT. So we pay three groups of taxes. And they did in Bible days. Caesar said, I'll have some of your money. Herod said, I'll have some of your money. And the temple came in with this temple tax. It was quite simple. It was a two drachma tax. Now I've looked into this, what two drachma would be worth today, and I really give up trying to work it out. But it was a, obviously a substantial amount that everyone would give just that once a year. And the question was very simple. Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Now I don't think this was a, a conspiracy to trick Jesus, because this was what they did. They collected it. So it was a normal thing. This wasn't like a couple of Pharisees got together and thought, let's try and trick Jesus. Let's try and catch him out. No, I think they came and they said, doesn't your teacher? Now they didn't go to Jesus, they went to Peter. Now if anybody should not be asked questions, it's Peter. Because <laughs> if there's a 50-50 chance, he's going to get it wrong. And I'm sorry to say, Peter got it wrong. He got it wrong probably for the right reasons. The question is, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Well, he was eligible. He was Jewish. As Archie reminded us this morning, lovely to see you here this evening, both of you. I don't think I'll have come to listen to me, but thank you. Um, they, um, he was Jewish. He was 20 and he was living within the boundaries of Israel. So he was eligible for this tax. So it was quite simple. But what these guys probably wondered was, because Jesus was such a controversial teacher, and that's only the title they gave him was rabbi teacher, maybe they thought maybe he thinks he's exempt in this tax. It's very interesting to know that after the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, this temple tax was still collected but sent to Rome. I didn't know that till this week. So the Romans decided we, there's no temple because they knocked it down, we will have the money and the money went to the capital, Rome. 
And so the question is very simple. Doesn't your teacher, is there some way that maybe he's exempt? We know he's a controversial teacher. We know he speaks um, differently and approaches things differently. Scripture says he taught them as one who had authority. The reason being, all the other teachers quoted other teachers. They'd say, Rabbi so-and-so said this. Rabbi so-and-so said that. And they all quoted each other. But Jesus said, truly, truly, I say unto you. Jesus wasn't quoting anybody. If anyone he was quoting, it was his father in heaven. That's why his ministry stood out in such a clear way. So I think they had a right to say, doesn't he pay the temple tax? Could he be exempt? He's quite controversial. He's quite radical. Maybe he doesn't feel that this tax applies to him. Well, Peter, wanting, I think, so that Jesus would look good, not wanting Jesus to look bad, you know, imagine that everybody pays the temple tax in the town except Jesus. Well, that would look terrible. So he very quickly, maybe he did the calculation. He's over 20, he's Jewish, he's eligible. And so he gave a very basic, true answer, but he got it wrong. So they said to him, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. Now you'd think that would be the end of it. You think, well, that's it. He's made the statement, Jesus is eligible. But of course, Jesus is eligible if he is, forgive me, only a male Jew over the age of 20. But there was far more to Jesus than those two statistics, let me assure you. Then something very beautiful happens, I believe. It says there, when Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. It's quite obvious that Jesus knew what Peter had said outside. Now, it might have been by divine revelation. Jesus would be capable of that, or maybe the window was open. It doesn't matter how Jesus knew, but he obviously became aware of what Peter has said. Now, the reaction of Jesus is so beautiful as far as I'm concerned. He didn't tell him off. Now, if, I, if you went out of this door of the service tonight and someone came up to you and said, Gordon Neal, that's me, by the way, Gordon Neal said... Uh, that you're going to give me 20 pounds. You might be a little bit um, upset, especially when all of you are going to lose 20 pounds. You say, well, hang on, Gordon. You, you, you've got no right to make a commitment on my behalf. If I want to give them 20 pounds, I will. You've got no right. Uh, Jesus could have said, hang on, Peter. Who do you think you are speaking on my behalf? Why didn't you check with me first? You know, that's never happened in a marriage, has it, when money's been spent? <laughs> a wife's never said to her, or vice versa, never, it's never happened in a marriage. Happens in mine, but, you know, in that way. And he doesn't do that. He doesn't tell him off. He doesn't expose him. He doesn't bring him in like some headmaster. Any headmasters here? Some headmaster would say, or even better, dad's army. You know, Captain Mannering, that's you, stupid boy, Pike. He doesn't do any, it doesn't humiliate him, doesn't tell him off, even though he'd given the wrong answer, he'd committed Jesus to an expenditure that he had no money to pay. Hence the miracle coming up in about eight and a half minutes. Right. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't tell him off. He doesn't expose his mistake. He just says simply, when he came in the house, what do you think? And I often wonder if Jesus said, what do you think? Because he hadn't thought outside, he better start thinking inside. Because he gave a very quick answer that was not correct. 
From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their sons or others? Peter answered, from others, Peter answered. In other words, Jesus was teaching that he was exempt because he was the son of God. And the temple was his temple. A little illustration, um, last year I think it was, my wife and I, we, we came down to London and we went round Buckingham Palace. Now, and um, they wanted me to stay, but I had to go home. You know, I had to get back, you know. <laughs> you know. But, you know, we had to pay. Can you imagine it? British citizen. Well, a bit of Irish, but we won't talk about that. You know, I had to pay to go into Buckingham Palace. It's a nerve. In fact, what really annoyed me was Prince Charles came behind me and he got in for free. <laughs> Tell you what, you've got to watch them boys, they're in. You know, and you think, well, of course, Gordon, that's his mum's house. You know, I've never paid to go in my mother's house, ever. In fact, she'd pay me to go in, probably, <laughs> if she shouldn't see a lot of me. But, you know, that's the picture here. Peter, you've just said I, I, I should pay, but the temple is my house. The temple is my father's house. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Peter, you made a mistake. You innocently have taken me down and made me just one of the people queuing to get in when I am a son. And Peter, you need to realize that you're going to be a son of God as well. And that was the mistake. So maybe the basis of this is that we have a clearer identity of who Jesus is. Jesus is the Lord of the temple. He's the Son of God. He's not just the Jew, though he is. He's not just over 20, although he is. He is none other than the Son, and the Son doesn't pay to go in his dad's house. And that was the challenge that Peter had come up against. So from others, Peter answered. And then Jesus says this tremendous word. Then the sons are exempt. Plural. Doesn't say the son is exempt. So Jesus is now talking about a wider circle. He's not just talking about himself and his relationship with his father. He's not saying, well, the temple is mine. You When he was a boy and he went up to the temple with uh, Joseph and Mary and he said, you know, uh, I must be about my father's business. He was in the temple. They, they traveled and left him there. He felt at home in the temple because that was his father's house. And we have the situation now where Jesus uses the plural. Then the sons are exempt. And I believe even in that word, there is that great expanse of the gospel. The gospel that includes. The gospel that says, you think only certain people are allowed into God's presence. For that's what the temple was. The place where God's presence dwelt. I don't know when it left it, but it was long before the veil was broken from the top to the bottom. And he says, then the sons are exempt. And you and I who've come to faith in Jesus Christ... We don't have to pay to go into God's presence. We don't have to do anything as RT taught us this morning. It's already paid for. We are the recipients of God's mercy and God's grace. And we don't pay to come into his presence. We don't pay to come to his house because the sons are exempt. Isn't that good? Well, I think that's the best news I've heard since, do you want a cup of tea earlier today? The sons are exempt. 
You and I can go not into an earthly temple. We can go into the presence of God. There is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And the sons, that plural word opens this up to include you and me. Well, moving on, but we have a problem. Very practical problem. Peter had said, yes, he does pay the temple tax. So he had committed Peter to two drachma and he had committed Jesus to two drachma. Now, I left school early. I left at lunchtime, but I know that two and two make four. So there's a commitment made by Peter for four drachma tax. And it went a bit like this. Have you got the money, Peter? No, I haven't got any money. Jesus, have you got any money? He said, I've got no money either. So we have a problem. We have a commitment by Peter in good faith. We have Jesus explaining to him that his answer was incorrect, although he didn't tell him off. He taught him that the sons are exempt. But we still have a problem. The problem is a commitment has been made. And Peter certainly was responsible for the two drachma. He was responsible, Jesus wasn't. Now you might say, well, he was a son. Well, maybe not yet, but he certainly would be. And so we have a problem. Peter's got no money. Jesus has got no money. The people that came probably said, I'll come back later and collect the money. They had a problem. What were they going to do? Well, Jesus said to him, so that we may not offend them. So this wasn't just a matter of Jesus saving faith. Jesus doesn't need to save face. He's the son of God. You know, he doesn't need to, he's not trying to look good in your eyes. He is good. Your eyes just have to recognize the fact he's good. So he comes and he says these, lest we offend them. So even in this, we see the generosity of God. He was generous to Peter in not telling him off and saying, well, look, you find the money, you made the commitment, you get on with it, which some would have said. You promised the money, you find the money. No. He was a shepherd. He was a pastor to Peter. And he said, listen, what are we going to do about this? And the motivation of the miracle was not the provision of money. Now, if you don't agree with me, that's good because it means you're thinking. And you can go home and, you know, if you don't agree with me, RT will answer all your questions. That's why he's here. He fills in the gaps. Okay. So that's, and that, that's why he's here, really. He's just a filler in, really. The filler in, in that way. Sorry. Um, but he said, lest we offend them. So if you're a preacher and you spend 20 minutes saying that this is God wants you to have money miraculously. I'm sorry, I, I can't see it here. <laughs> can't see it here. Now, I can give you some verses where that might be true, but I don't think this has got anything to do with financial provision. I don't think this is a story you can grab hold of and believe that you'll be a millionaire by next week. <laughs> it has nothing to do with it. It's to do... With, and I'm going to say two men, the I'm going to know why I'm saying two. I can't even remember if it says two. Um, who came. It is so that they may not be offended. How could they be offended? How, what could the offense be? If Jesus said, well, he's eligible, but I'm not. I'm the son of God. I'm not eligible. Prince Charles doesn't pay to go into Buckingham Palace. Neither do I. By the way, 
Prince Charles wasn't around then. <laughs> right. Okay. Lest we offend them. I would like to put this thought forward. If you don't find it satisfying, that's okay. I'm not, I'm not going to wilt. Very simple. Later on, they were going to hear that Jesus had risen from the dead. Now, wouldn't it be awful if an evangelist came to this, after the resurrection, to this Capernaum and said, we want to declare to you that Jesus is risen from the dead. And they said, you what? That fella wouldn't even pay his two drachma tax. I think that's what the offence was. Lest we offend them. We don't want them to think that we are mean. We don't want them to think bad of us. The gospel is greater than And let me tell you, friends, that as Christians, we should live our lives so we do not give offence. I have some non-Christian friends and relatives and I seek my best. I don't know if I'm succeeding. Not to offend them with the way I live and the way I act and the way I conduct myself with them. And I think Jesus is the same. Lest we offend them. We don't want them up. It's not worth losing their, 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 their support for two drachma. Two drachma. Now again, that didn't solve the problem. But that was the motivation of the miracle. Not to cause offence. And we sometimes are looking for miracles that are going to help us. Here was a miracle that was going to help others. Oh Lord, meet my needs. Maybe we need to occasionally say, Lord, meet their needs. And maybe God will step in in a new and fresh way. So that we may not offend them, go to the lake throughout your line. This is the first time, I believe, in the scriptures where a hook and line is mentioned. Now, somebody's going to Google that and tell me I'm wrong, but please wait till you go home. Okay? But that's what I understand. So he was told, now Peter was a fisherman with a net. He'd been in boats. That was his life. So he was asked to do something a little different, I believe here. So that we do not offend. Go to the lake. Now he couldn't use a net because he only wanted one fish. And the trouble with a net is you catch a lot of fish, then you've got to look in all their mouths. Hmm? Logic, that is, fellas. That's called logic. Right? So he says, go down, throw out your line. Now, I've never been a real fisherman. The last time I went fishing was to Drayton Manor, because I used to live in Northolk, Drayton Manor gravel pits near Heathrow Airport. It was so cold, we had to break the ice to fish. My friend, who was a fanatic, thought that that was a good time to fish. Five in the morning when you have to break the ice to fish. I have never been back. In fact, even as I speak, my feet are still cold. And it was 40 years ago, if not 50 years ago. I'm not a fisherman. But I know this, that you can go fishing and catch nothing. I know this, that you can go fishing and catch maybe one fish or many fish, depending on a fisherman's way. But Jesus told him to go out and it's very simple, the first fish you catch. So there's a faith statement. Peter, you're going to catch one. Wow, how can you possibly say that? How can anybody be confident that someone throwing a, a line out is going to catch a fish? Jesus said, you're going to catch a fish. Wow, what confidence. More than that, you're going to catch a fish, very simple. It's the first catch of fish. And when you catch it, open its mouth 
and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for your t- my tax and yours. What a miracle that you're going to catch a fish and the first fish you catch is going to have a coin in it. In this we see so many of the attributes of God. His all knowledge. His, just he knew how, when, you know, when did the fish catch this coin? When did a fisherman possibly be on a boat and drop four drachma coin over the side? A fish saw it coming down. A bit of drama here, please pay attention. <laughs> Sunday, Saturday, Sunday night, you, can do, you need to keep you awake. You know, this little bit of silver, or I don't even know if it was silver, floated down. And a fish thought, oh, that's a little fish. Swam up and caught it. Now, I'd like to think it was a Pharisee who lost the money. <laughs> but it, we don't know who. But at some prearranged point, that fish caught a four drachma coin, swam around with it in his mouth until the Lord of creation said, see that hook? Grab hold of it. And it was there. And Peter must have stood back and thought, how did he know that fish would be passing? How did he know it was a four, a four drachma coin? How did he know it? I mean, if this was some conjuring trick, we'd want to know how it was done. It wasn't a conjuring trick because the first fish had a coin in its mouth. It wasn't a moose light of hand. No cameras. It was a miracle of provision to meet a need so that offence would not be caused. And Jesus stands there, Lord of creation. Just as he stilled the storm, just as he walked on the water, just as he commanded everything. So now he says, Peter, you think this is a problem. Peter, this situation has caught you by surprise. Peter, I already knew you were going to make this mistake and I provided grace to cover your mistake. Isn't he good? Isn't he good? What a saviour we have who when he knows we're going to make a mistake already provides provision that that mistake is cleared up. And then just in closing, and you've listened so well on a warm evening, he tells him, take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. He didn't just say, two drachma fish, find a two drachma coin for mine. Peter, you've made the mistake, you sort yourself. No, no. He already had in his heart that Peter with all the goodwill in the world, defended his Lord and said, of course he does. You know, does, you know, does, does your pastor pay income tax? You'd say, yes. Does he? Is he? <laughs> of course he does. Of course he does. You know, it might be in the Cayman Islands, but he does. In that, way. that was a joke, by the way. <laughs> it's in Monaco. Okay, <laughs> so there we are. <laughs> I'm getting too near here. Right. Well, I've enjoyed coming to KT and um, <laughs> that way. But he says, take it and give them to my tax and yours. He didn't refuse. He didn't say, I'm not paying that. No, no. Because there were two men who were going to come along later in the day 
And they're going to say, Peter, have you got the money? He says, not only have I got the money for me, I've got the money for Jesus. And they went away unoffended. They went away thinking, fair dues to the rabbi. The pastor paid his tithes, as well as the members. Well done, that Jesus, this controversial preacher, and maybe later when the gospel was preached, they said, do you know what, I remember him. He paid his tax like the rest of us. Tell me more, because they were not offended. In closing, may I say there are going to be times in our lives when we need two drachma or four drachma. We're going to need it. There's going to be times in our lives when we're in that situation and we say, Lord, you've got to help us. Well, let me tell you what to do. Go out fishing. Have faith. Trust God. That's the word. Trust God and just see what happens. Can I guarantee that four drachma will turn up the day you need it? I can't guarantee anything. All I know is you have a God who cares for you. And he has ways of blessing, ways of undertaking, ways of meeting our need. Lastly, have I said lastly yet? If I did, I didn't mean it. Note this. Wouldn't it be nice if we were in six drachma? And then Peter and Jesus could have gone out for fish and chips. Oh dear. You know, what, wouldn't it be nice if it had been ten drachma? Wouldn't it have been nice if it could have been a larger amount and they could have... No, no friends. He's promised to meet all our needs. Don't miss the four drachma because in your head you've got some daft idea there's ten drachmas out there waiting for you. Let him meet the needs. Let him bless you and be grateful for it. And please, don't cause offence. Let people think well of you. To be a deacon in the New Testament or an elder, you had to have a good reputation, not only in the church, but outside the church. May that be said of us at this church, that people are not offended by us. Because we pay our taxes, we do our best, we do what happens. We are good citizens in that sense. So we don't cause offence.